Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. How are you doing, Marty? Okay? I'm doing well. Yeah, doing my little ADD, hyper-focused versus totally distractible, but it's fun. Love it. <laughs> Love How it. are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to figure things out the way I do. Lately, I've been thinking about how we, you and I, still have like a lot of perplexing cultural misunderstandings, often accent related, I should say, rather than cultural. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Accent related. The other day, I don't even, I still don't even know how this happened actually, because the other day we're chatting away about writing novels. Mm. I'm in the bath, usually am. Um, I'm right now. Uh, I'm not right now. So I was in the bath and you were on the floor drawing pictures. Yeah. On paper. I had paper. I wasn't just drawing, drawing on the floor. On the floor. <laughs> That's Although I would. <laughs> yeah, you would. Anyway, so I wrote this down so I know what I said, right? Okay. I said, you have to have people at cross purposes or else you won't be able to generate scenes. Okay. Right. I was talking about novel writing. Mm-hmm. And... I thought it was, you know, it's not going to change any worlds, but I thought it was a reasonable point. And I look up at you and you've got this look on your face and it's like a little bit like so confused, a little bit sympathetic (laughs) and um, you're like trying so hard to understand and not be too prejudiced against me. What did I think you said? So I look at you and you look at me and there's this long silence and and then you just said, (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? <laughs> and you went, sns. <laughs> Finally, I remembered. I would like, like I said, scenes. And you went, scenes. Why didn't you say scenes? I said, I did say scenes. You said, you said sns. <laughs> but your little face looking up at me so eager from the floor. I, mean, I was just waiting and watching to see if you would generate a sns. <laughs> 
Mm. I mean, heaven knows what that really is. I know. What is a sm? Some Australian delicacy, I think. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what are you trying to figure out, my love? I'm trying to figure out, you know, so many of my figuring out things have to do around bedtime and insomnia. Mm. As I know, we've both gone down the uh, insomnia road a oh, few yeah. times in our lives. Yeah. So I have all these rituals and things that help me sleep. So the other night, I started, and it takes me like five minutes to get everything in place to just position myself for sleep. So first of all, I have to um, tape my mouth closed because of a book called Breathe. So she didn't say take my mouth. She said tape. Yeah, get a little piece of surgical tape and tape my lips together because that way I I won't breathe through my mouth because they found out that it's really bad for you. And if you breathe through your nose, everything is good. And if you breathe through your mouth, you die almost immediately. Marty's very susceptible There's to people who write things like that. It's called Breathe. Just read it. Just read it. You will be taping your mouth shut at night. Okay. So then I put on my eye shade because even the slightest amount of light <laughs> will wake me up immediately. Then I put in my earplugs because the slightest sound will do that. Then, this you don't know, I lie in the bed and I'm always bundled up all day, right? I wear nine layers and a bathrobe on top of everything. Well, for some reason, when it's time to go to sleep, I have to chill my body. So then I just lie down in a pair of very light pajamas or a t-shirt and shorts and just lie. And I take the blanket off and I try to chill myself down to sleep temperature. And then sometimes I get up and I sort of stagger about. And I thought, (laughs) okay, my body is cold. My mouth is taped shut. My eyes are covered. My ears, I cannot see or hear. I think I'm dead. (laughs) I think I am the, or the undead. I'm a weird zombie. Like I have to turn myself into a zombie to sleep. A cold, sightless, soundless, tape mouth shut zombie. When someone walks into the room, I mean, there's you staggering around, but when someone walks into the room and you're, you've assembled yourself to sleep, (laughs) it is the funniest thing because Marty will, she'll like sit up like in a panic because she always wakes up in a panic and and then she, but she can't see, she can't hear and her mouth tapes shut. So she like sits up with this stricken look on her face but she can't open her mouth except on each edge. On the side. Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't mouth. tape the whole thing shut. You, you don't want to die. You just want to have a real closure. So she's like got her mouth open at each end and going, oh. <laughs> This crazed look in her eyes once she pulls up the the sleep mask. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. The other thing that you do is sometimes in the middle of the night in your sleep pull off the tape. This is true. And you like stick it somewhere for safekeeping, like your sleeping self sticks it carefully to your ear or your cheek. I find it all over the room. I find it on different parts of my body. One night I put it on the bottom of my foot. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Little squares of surgical tape everywhere. Another, to me, it's just proof that I am the undead. I'm like, holding my body together with sur- surgical tape for reels. really interesting. Yeah. Hey, that's a plan for aging. <laughs> I'm just going to d- wrap everything in surgical tape. Oh, my goodness. Ah, Bilbo, that dog. Shut your wet mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave that in. Yeah, we're just going to leave it in. Today our guest is Bilbo Baggins, cockapoo yeah. of Pennsylvania. Strong opinions. Yeah. 
a bit controversial times. Yeah, there's a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. We knew we were doing a Be Wildfiles episode. Oh, I you must have. I hadn't anticipated having Bilbo be the person, but we'll see how we go. We'll see so how we go. Who is, who is another person besides Bilbo Baggins? Well, first let me remind our listeners that we have a kind of episode that we do sometimes. It's called The Be Wild Files. We haven't done one for a little while, but we're going to do them more because we're getting more questions yeah, from you all. And, and because all you people out there are way more interesting than we are so by ourselves. So interesting than us. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you may not tape your mouth shut at night, but you're still interesting. Um, <laughs> if you want to know how to submit a voice recording for us, telling us what you are trying to figure out, please go to rowanmangan.com slash bewildered and i've got some very detailed instructions there for you um we'll be right back with more bewildered i have a favor to ask you might not know this but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe they get podcasts in front of more faces more eyes more ears all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of that's what they do so it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would be also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Mwah. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Before we get to today's uh, person, though, yes. I mm -hmm. do want to just kind of preface it because, as our listeners know, this is a podcast about culture mm -hmm. and the forces of culture. And often I think it's fair to say that we we talk about culture and we kind of mean mainstream culture in this country, yeah. whatever. we, so we don't, don't do the cultures. Don't, we've we've done, done all this that, before. All that stuff. Um, but I just wanted to say that, you know, we're looking at a different kind of culture today. A subculture. A subculture. Because there are so many, we all have layers and layers of culture. Anytime there are two people in the room, culture is the third guest at the table, right? So there are really strong subcultures within our broader culture. And today we're focusing on uh, not so, so much the mainstream. Yeah, because of course, mainstream is very powerful and reinforced everywhere, but Really, the thing is when any kind of consensus is pushing you outside what feels right to you, right? Yeah. So um, what we realized as we started talking about today's topic is that there's actually an implicit kind of pressure that today's 
I don't want to say guest, our, our the wildfires person, person um, who's coming, they, um, I think it's like self-help culture, spiritual culture, those kind of right. things sell us certain promises that can make us unhappy. Is that yeah. fair? They, yeah. All right. So, Rowie, can you play us our wonderful guest? I will. My name is Gizzy Chai and my pronouns are they, them. And I am wondering about how to uh, interact with those situations which don't feel joyful and authentic and true, but are necessary. For me, one of those is co-parenting with my ex. I use Byron Katie's The Work, which is really helpful, but it definitely never feels like something that is my true north. (laughs) Unless I guess we think about that I want to do it for my kid. But it just usually doesn't feel warm and fuzzy. So any thoughts would be so greatly appreciated. Thanks for all you do. I love the podcast so much. Gazit. What a cool question. What a, what a lovely human. Yeah. I you know what I love most about this, Marty, is that it acknowledges in the in the whole issue that Gazit raises, it it shows us that life isn't perfectable yeah you know um there's always going to be shitty stuff that we have to deal with right and I do think that sometimes we're tempted to believe that all the bad stuff can go away if Mm -hmm. we're like zen enough or you know self-help or spiritual people sometimes I think try to sell that you know I think sometimes they believe that yeah yeah and and I think that down that road is shame and self-loathing and all of that sort of stuff so yes indeed you know I I do love this and thank you Gazit for um I want to say writing in for speaking in (laughs) thanks for speaking (laughs) in jumping in jumping in I don't know if they jumped they may have been jumping (laughs) we can't know can't rule it out it's true (laughs) it's true and I have to say like oh my god it's such a good I mean, it's such a juicy problem. It's not a good problem. Would never say that. If I had to share a human being with any of my exes, O M F G, I would not be doing well at I su- all. I assume you mean not eating, but raising as a child. Because <laughs> if you were sharing a, hu- that's a lot of meat. It depends on the size of the child. (laughs) But yes, co-parenting, absolutely. Co-parenting, yes. It's so awkward, right? It like puts you in this situation where you're like artificially keeping alive a relationship that's that's died it's it's a zombie Mm -hmm. relationship like me at night when i go to sleep night yeah isn't that weird like we should be allowed in this world to break up and move on but then there's this little thing called children Mm. that um can prevent it so anyway all of that to say i really feel you on this one and um i think you know it's it's not unique i think there's there's other similar situations mm-hmm. that we kind of confront sometimes, like um, like a, like a toxic workplace. Yeah, I think or, can be that sort of ongoing nasty. Yeah, any place where you're absolutely stuck with someone legally or because of blood ties or whatever. Um, I have friends now who are who have never had good relationships with their parents, but their parents are now older and they're caring. They've got that role reversal, oh. and they're caring for their parent as as if the parent were the child, but they also have all these years of negative experience and maybe weren't even talking to each other. So it's really awkward. Yeah. 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 And, and we're, we're talking shit if we're going to say that your 
that that's fixable that is always going to suck a bit is that fair? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think there we'll get into this a little bit more, but there's something very odd and icky that comes in when people try to overlay the difficulty of that with I'm so enlightened, I'm doing a spiritual bypass, right? Mm. Um people are like, "Oh, yes, it's just my my son just uh, racked up $900 on a phone bill to a phone sex line and he's just the Buddha in my path." That's a literal <laughs> example from one of my clients, by the way. <laughs> he's just the Buddha in my path, and I'm like, he's a very a horny Buddha. <laughs> He's the horny Buddha in my bed. But it's just like, oh, everything's so good. No, it isn't. Stop lying. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's funny how, you know, it looks different than, you know, go to school, go to work. You know, right. it's, it's a different message, but it's that same force, that same cultural force yes. that pushes you against your nature. Yeah. And every religion starts out with like, be happy and wise and forgiving and ends up being let, let's all pretend to be happy, wise, and forgiving, and we'll kill you if you don't. Yeah. It always, as soon as something goes cultural, the potential for all that falseness arises, and you've got the same basic situation. Totally, totally. And so, so given all of that, we can still, and given the acknowledgement that it won't all be sunshine and, mm -hmm. and roses, we can still come to our senses around these kinds of situations, right, Marty? Yes. And the whole thing is, you know, culture tells us to come to consensus and nature tells us to come to our senses. And that's what uh, we try to help people do. So here we have the cultural consensus for this subculture being, if you're good enough at your yoga and meditation and whatever, everything is going to be joyful and blissful. And I don't want to say that Gazit is is subscribing to that no. either, but I think it's like, what do you do around this situation? Well, what you don't do and what no no one on this podcast is going to say is just fix your attitude. <laughs> yeah. Turn that frown upside down. Oh, I just read a psychology book that literally said that. No. And I wanted to find the author and hurt him. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of, of authors, well, podcasters, I, when we heard Gazit's question, I thought about this conversation you told me about um, between a podcast host named Theo Vaughn and a psychologist named Jason Jordan, Jordan Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. It was like a year ago. And we were we were watching Lila start learning to walk and play and everything. Lila is our two-year-old. Lila is our two-year-old, yes. It's not just like the neighbor. <laughs> um, but but Karen, our beloved Carrie Koo, gets very, very upset if Lila does anything dangerous, like, I don't know, stand up. <laughs> you could fall! Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> and and Rose said, well, these two guys were talking, and one of them said, if, you, if you're going to make your kids tough, which they better be if they're going to survive in the world, you don't interfere when they're doing dangerous things carefully. And we really took that sort of phrase to heart, this dangerous things carefully idea. Right. It's, it's kind of, it's surprising. It's revolutionary. And that's why they said that's really cool because that they can learn so much. And then the author said, well, that's where everyone <laughs> learns everything is doing dangerous things carefully. And by the same token, I think the place we grow in terms of self-efficacy and internal power, a sense of positive sense of power is when, not when you're always happy, but when you're doing emotionally painful things with courage and integrity, that's the oh, equivalent okay. of doing dangerous things carefully is you're doing painful things with integrity. Integritarily. Integritarily. Yeah. Ugh. I want that on a t-shirt. 
I am living in Tingretaro. In Ting- okay, <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the question comes up, you have to do this. You have to go interact with your ex. And how do you do that ethically and with integrity? So the first thing you do is you stop pretending it's going to be easy. Yes. Oh, wow. Even just saying that. Yeah. And I'm not even in a situation, even just saying that. I'm like, oh, that makes it easy. Right. Exactly. The moment you say this is going to be really hard. It's like I used to get shots when I was a kid and the nurses always says this won't hurt. It hurt. And I felt so betrayed. So when I had kids and I took them to the doctor, I'd say this will hurt, but only for a second. And they were so much cooler with it, right? So it's not going to be fun to go deal with your ex, with your child. And even if you're enlightened, it's not going to be fun. I'll get to more about that in a second. But the point is to like prep, prepare yourself by saying, where is the difficulty? And the difficulty will always be where there's pressure to pretend that you're not feeling something that you are. I mean, my whole premise is whenever we're pulled off our truth, we suffer. So when we're like face-to-face with our ex, um, we get pulled off our truth by a number of things. One of them is, I can't handle conflict. I have to get out of here. Can I just say another one though? Yes. And, you know, I think, because it didn't mention this, but when I think about this sort of scenario, one of the things that to me greatly complicates it is when these interactions have to take place in front of your child. Yeah. There's so much complexity to that, right? Because yes, yes, you want to be in integrity for your own sake, for your child's sake, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we we don't want our kid to see, you know, to see, you know what I'm saying, like real nasty conflict or feel that. So it's hard. Like there's layers to the integrity piece. And if you don't want it to get nasty, you have to get in touch with, like if you are angry or whatever, you have to, for example, examine beliefs like they shouldn't be acting that way which is like saying the sky shouldn't be blue. It should be pink. It's, it's a no-win situation. It leaves you just backed into a hard place and you're going to behave strangely. The only thing your kids need to see is you behaving truthfully. So what I would do, if I had it to do over, <laughs> is sit the kid down and say, um, yeah, you're, my ex and I aren't um, together anymore. Um, However you see me act, however you see them act, trust yourself. Believe you're going to make sense of this instead of we both love you and, uh, you know, try to, you should be happy with this. To sit down with them and say, this is awful and icky and Mm. hard, but you can always trust yourself. You can trust what you're feeling and you can always talk to me about it Mm. because it's not easy. It's not fun. And people try to paint over the cracks of divorce and stuff even more with their children than they, than they do it with themselves. Yeah. And children need honesty above everything. They, and they need to be told, trust your own perceptions. I totally agree with all of that. And I just want to push a little bit harder at you when there is a face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just, I'm making this up. I don't know if this even happens, but like, so Gazit's there, their ex is there, the child or children is, right, right, uh, right. is also, are also there. And Gazit's wanting to be in total integrity. Sure. And they've, they've gone into the situation recognizing that the ex is probably going to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. And 
so that's good. So there's at least that like embrace the mm-hmm. fact that it's not going to be different this time. Right, right, right. But if the ex is an asshole and Gazit's integrity is to stand up for themselves or, mm-hmm. you know, like have some sort of conflict adjacent, if not conflict based kind of response. Right. That could be upsetting to the child. Right. What's the, what's, how do you navigate that? So you have to work through your own emotions until you get to a place of peace. Now we're talking about, uh, instead of never do anything dangerous, do, uh, do dangerous things carefully. Um, what we were saying here is do painful things. Never do anything. Yeah. It's not always be happy, but do unhappy things with integrity and that will bring you peace. So the peace that comes up is an, it underlies the surface emotion of like, you can be angry, you can be wistful, you can be embarrassed. And if you're, if you've done your own work, there's an underlying bedrock sense of peace. Now from there, you can start to be what in meditation they call the compassionate witness. And here's how I see it when I have to deal with someone difficult for me. I always think of a rattlesnake that came into my house in Arizona. And it was really interesting because we had like a split level house and I was going up one staircase, half a staircase, and the door was open to the desert. And then there's another staircase. So I'm coming up the stairs and at my eye level, a rattlesnake is coming into the house. Uh And my kids were going to school out that door. And I, my instinct was to run and scream, right? But the, instead, I started to, I, I was worried about the kids being frightened. So I thought, okay, I got to stay really calm. And I started to remember that the human hand moves like three times faster than a rattlesnake strike. And then I saw that the rattlesnake was still a distance from me. So I said very calmly to the kids, kids, I want you to go out the other door to go to catch the bus for school. And then I thought to myself, I understand snakes. <laughs> like, I know a thing or two about snakes. In in Arizona, they used to always publish things in the paper saying, if you have a pet snake, please do not kiss it. They will bite your lips. <laughs> Apparently, it was a problem in Phoenix. Probably still is. But I knew to respond to it the way you respond calmly to a rattlesnake. It was poisonous. It was frightened. It was likely to strike. If a person is poisonous and frightened and likely to strike, you have to say that person is like a rattlesnake. There's nothing morally wrong with rattlesnakes. I'm not furious and at the rattlesnake for being a rattlesnake. I'm at peace with the snake being a snake. And if I'm dealing with a psychopath, for example, if you have a psychopathic ex, I'm going to be at peace with the psychopath being a psychopath. Mm-hmm. So that means having to get in touch with how infuriating it is and go, okay, where am I protesting against reality? Which and, it sounds like Gazit was doing because they were saying they, they're doing Byron Katie's work. Right. And the Byron Katie work is about one basic thing, which is loving what is the title of her first book. And that means that as things are, you come to terms with them. Mm. X is an asshole. You ca- you're at peace with the, re- the reality that your ex is being an asshole. They may not be forever, but they may be at the moment. Mm. And then if you're not at war with that, if you're not thinking, I've got to make them different, this shouldn't be this way, all these struggles that we go on inside, when you just say, oh, 
an asshole is an asshole, a snake is a snake. What's my next move? Keep my side of the street clean. Um, make sure I tell my kid that whatever they hear, they should trust themselves because yeah. X may be a problem, but I may be a problem too. And I'm going to let the kid have that. The kids have their freedom to detect their own truth. Yeah. And then I also think there's a piece which is about like reframe your own definition of success for each interaction. Mm. So, you know, because what we want to do, well, I'm, I can't speak for you. What I would want to do in your situation is I want my ex to act the way my best friend acts mm. and like any reasonable person would act and recognize where I'm trying and da, 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 da. And so that's what we have to, you know, let yeah. go of when we have those sorts yeah. of thoughts in those sorts of situations. Um, but like if success is... I'm going to have this interaction with my ex who I accept is a difficult person and I am going to work on not getting activated yeah. by it. I'm but- going to work on keeping my focus on myself and on the kids um, or, you know, like whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, and there are actual physical things you can do because, for example, if you never start breathing shallowly, you can't get as into fight or flight. So one definition for success would be I'm going to watch my breath. The whole time I'm going to keep it slow and deep and steady. Mm. That'll mop up so much wow. trouble. I can't even tell you. Another thing is. <laughs> Isn't I'm that gonna, wild that I'm you gonna, can just do that fabulous. and change things? Yeah. I'm going to keep the tone of my voice low. There is something about a low, calm voice that doesn't spike anxiety. And everybody who's being an asshole is anxious, I promise. They're feeling scared, angry, fight or flight, right? But keeping your voice low and slow and breathing calmly and then noticing, oh, I'm angry without saying I shouldn't be angry or, oh, now they're lying without thinking they shouldn't be lying. Mm. Just just those three things. If I can keep my watch my breath, keep my voice low and observe reality without fighting it, now you're in integrity. Now you're not going to be as riled up and you can, you'll actually build a sense of self-efficacy after dealing with this situation this way, no matter what the ex does. Can I please derail the whole thing? Please. Number two, keep your voice low and slow. Yeah. Oprah voice. Oprah voice. Do Oprah voice. Then it's a fun game. Like you're there with your ex, but you're also like interviewing Meghan Markle. Mm. And and you're like, were you silent or were you silenced? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, And you're Oprah. Oh, Oh, yeah. There are two things you should watch. I don't know if I've mentioned these before, but they are classics. There's one of Oprah early in her career where she had an audience full of like out there white supremacists. Lots of people are internal, unknown white supremacists, but these were like card carrying. Yeah. Shaven headed killer types, racists. And, you know, she's interviewing them and her voice stays so low and so calm. And then there's one where Gloria Steinem is being interviewed by some senator or something. And he is literally the most misogynistic, like he is acting like a total bitch, calling her a bitch. And she's like, well, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why aren't you screaming at him? Mm. Because if she screamed at him, number one, she'd play right into his game. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's like lunging at a snake and trying to bite it. Mm. It's going to bite you. So the other thing is she leaves her integrity because she leaves her peace, her internal peace, because she's baited in by his false energy. She's she's sort of entering his world of ickiness. Mm. And where she stays in that whole interview is 
in a deep, calm place where she's watched the misogyny her whole life and she's not expecting it to be anything but what it is. Mm. And she is no one but who she is. Wow. And I mean, that can't help redefine the kind of shape of an interaction. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. After the after they overturned Roe versus Wade, um, there were so many people calling me. I was calling them like, what are we going to do? And I saw an interview with Gloria Steinem. She was like, and she's like 80 something now. And she's like, when the courts pass an unjust law, we do not obey it. Hmm. Just quiet. I was just like, oh, you are awesome. No wonder you got so much done in your life and you're still getting it done. Yeah. Okay. So end goal is always integrity. And when you stay in your integrity, you can find peace because the truth always gives you peace and peace can be present at all times. There can be sorrow with peace. There can be anger with peace. There can even be fear with peace. If the peace is at the level of, I would call it the soul and the mm. deep, deep self. And Everything else, it's like the, there's a band in the ocean way deep down where the blue whales go to call to each other. And it's so still. It's like 3,000 feet down and lower, I think. And it's so still that sound waves will travel from one whale to another across 1,000 miles. And at the top, there are all these waves going, all, you know, all this activity mm. and everything. But there's this deep, calm place where the whales go to talk. And we all have that inside us and the whales are our true selves. Mm. And there are still waves at the surface and that's part of the fun of the ocean. Yeah, I love that. I love that peace, not perfection, you know, is, yeah. the, is the goal. And, you know, I, there's something kind of... I don't know if I'm if I'm getting overexcited about this, but to me that kind of quality of bittersweet is really so much of what it's about being here. Yes. Know? There's a song by Bob Dylan that I really love that kind of captures that that quality of bittersweet to me, which is called Most of the Time. And you should look it up. There's a great cover by Ani Franco. And to me, there's there's an essence here of what Gazit actually came in acknowledging, which is it just is. It's part of the the thing, but um, the thing of life. But okay, here are some of the words from this song. Most of the time, I'm clear focused all around. Most of the time, I can keep both feet on the ground. I can follow the path. I can read the signs. I can stay right with it when the road unwinds. I can handle whatever I stumble upon. And I don't even notice that she's gone most of the time. You know, so it's like all the feelings are there, all yeah. the right stuff is there, and it's most of the time. And if it can be most of the time that we can, you know, follow the path and read the signs and stay right with it when the road unwinds, then that's pretty freaking good. It's better than never being upset because you don't go to sea to just be on a flat plane of glass. You go for the ride. The whole thing is the ride, and you've just described the condition of nature. Yeah, plus where would the music be? Mm, so true. All so right. go hear that song and Ani DeFranco's cover and stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. 
Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.